Okay, today's daf is daf Yudgimel. We pick up on Yudbet Amukbet. Um, we are in the middle of a debate of Rabbi Meir the Chachamim about a case where somebody said, give this uh, shtar shikhra, um to my slave, uh, rid of manumission, or a get to my wife. And the person, by taking it, um, can that be considered like he's representing the wife or the slave and they are automatically divorced as, a, as their shaliach and automatically divorced or automatically freed. So that is not the case by the wife because there is actually can be a downside to being divorced um, in that she, the husband will no longer have a legal obligation to provide for her. But the Chachamim say, but by the case, by the Eved, he is automatically freed because uh, it's only a benefit to the slave to be freed, um, and therefore, this person can represent the slave. Rabbi Meir responds back and says it is not a benefit to the slave to be freed. Um, now, why not? Well, the first reason to think not is because um, the master might have an obligation to feed his slave, but to that, the Chachamim have already said in the Mishnah, the master does not have a legal obligation to feed his slave, to feed his slave, so clearly, that's not a benefit that he's losing out on. The discussion is going about whether that technically meant that or not, but anyway, effectively, that's what it means. And now we're getting to the second point, which is the issue of truma. Does the loss of the ability to eat truma, if he is the slave of a Kohen, is that considered to be something that he is losing out from, which would compromise the idea that being freed is a complete benefit? So let's take a look now at the Gemara. Tanara Butter, we taught, this is about Tanik Shudim Brice, about 15 lines from the bottom. I'm Rebel Ezer. We said to Meir, we the Chachamim, who said that it is a definite benefit to the slave to be freed, we said to Rabbi Meir, it's an absolute benefit to be freed. Okay? So why can't somebody represent the slave? Um, he said back to us, no, it's, uh, it's, it's a detriment. There is some area where it actually is, is, is a loss. What's the area of a loss? At least in the case of a slave of a Kohen. What about the case of a case of a slave of Israel? We'll discuss. But anyway, in the case of a slave of a Kohen, there is some loss, and therefore it's not an absolute benefit, and therefore you cannot automatically represent the slave. What's the loss? That he will not be able to uh, eat truma. The wife of a Kohen and the slave of a Kohen can eat truma because the slave, because it's his property, the wife, because it's married, his household, and they will lose that benefit. So there's always going to be some loss. Um, why is it a benefit to eat truma? First of all, truma is sold for less in the marketplace because it has all these laws that have to be followed. And second, they can even go and to the, uh, you know, the, to, to, the, to the person in the field and get the gift of truma directly from him. Question whether a slave can do it without the coin being present. But anyway, this gives them the ability to get truma that they will no longer have. So Rabbi Mayer says there is always going to be a loss, well, at least in the case of a Kohen master. Amarnu lo, we said back to Rabbi Meir, velo maim yitzah shalol luzon v'sholofarnasa v'shai. But one minute, he doesn't have to feed him. Now, what does that have to do with the truma point? So Tosa says, it seems like they understood the reason Rabbi Meir was saying truma is an issue is because Rabbi Meir was saying he'll get a lot of food from his master because his master can give him truma and therefore truma is cheaper so he'll give him a lot of, of, of food. And they said back to him, but there's no legal obligation to feed him. So who cares about truma? Why so? So where's the loss? Amalanu, um, he said back to us, no, because as long as the woman is still married, going back, comparing it to the woman, and the slave is still owned, even without the master, they can eat truma, okay? So they don't need the master to feed them. They could have run away, and they could still go collect truma from people, you know, in the, you know, in, in, in the grain silos, and, they, you know, and, and the threshing floors, and they can go ahead and buy it in the market. So this is a benefit that they have, which is unrelated to the master's obligation to free the slave. And now they are losing out. And once he's free, 
agreed, he's losing out on this ability of access to truma. So there is a definite loss, and therefore, at least in the case of a slave of a Kohen, it is not an absolute benefit, and somebody, you cannot say zachin. Um, the aval is interesting here, but certainly, let's say by a woman, it's to her detriment. Number one is she, you know, she no longer ha- he, her husband no longer has a legal ob- obligation to feed her, and number two, she can't eat truma. So by a woman, she loses both of those things. So it's not a definite benefit to be divorced. And by a slave, even though there's no legal obligation to feed him, he still loses his rights to truma. So that's Rabbi Meir's claim that there is not an absolute benefit. So now the Gemara wants to understand more, like get, get into this. What did they say to him and what did he respond? Let's like explain exactly this back and forth. So they said back to him, okay, you said to us there's no legal obligation to feed. Fine. But, you know, um, Excuse me, he said to them, you have given me an answer that there's no legal obligation to feed. I concede that by this lady, there's no legal obligation to feed. But there's still a truma point independent of the legal obligation to feed the slave, and you have not responded to that. Okay? Now you'll say back to me, that, um, that, um, so you'll say, look, the fact that the coin, that the slave can eat truma, that is, um, you know, um, that is not a, that doesn't imp- make it a problem for somebody to represent the slave to get the get. Because you don't need a shaliach to prevent the slave from eating truma. You can divorce the slave, or free the slave against his will, you can just throw the get at him within his four amos, and he'll be, and he'll be freed. So, the fact that somebody is choosing to represent him, you can't say, oh, you can't do that because now he's going to lose out on the benefit of truma. That is something the master could make happen regardless. But the answer back is one minute. So no, but you still need the slave or somebody representing him. The slave could run away. That's why he gives the example of a slave that ran away. So the slave could run away. So the master cannot take away the ability of the slave to eat truma without the slave being present or his representative. So when you are choosing to represent the slave, you are hurting the slave. You are giving the master the ability to take away the opportunity for the slave to eat truma. And that's why Rabbi Meir says, I'm always going to consider, or at least in the case of a Kohen, that there is some loss and you can't say zachin because that allows the master to take away the, the ability of a slave to eat truma. So the Gemara says, so then what, uh, so yeah, there you go. There's a way, this slave has the right to eat truma. It has nothing to do with the master's ability, uh, obligation to feed him. It has, the master cannot remove that from him without the slave or his representative being present and that is a loss. So that's why you cannot say zachin, says Rebbe Meir. So the Gemara says, Shapir Kamer Luhu. So that was a good response. So what, how, how did the rabbis respond back? So Amarava, Hainu Dagamahadri Lebimas Nisin. So the answer to that can be found in our Mishnah. Because the slave is owned by the master. Now, how does that respond to the fact that the slave is still losing out in terms of this truma issue? So let's take a look. Because since he is owned by the master, and he, the reason he eats truma is because he's the possession of a Kohen, the Kohen can always remove his ability to eat truma without the slave or his representative present. How? 
just sell him to a non-Jew. Excuse me, to a Jew, to a Yisrael, to a non-Kohen. So therefore, it is true, they seem to be saying back, that there is a loss by losing Truma, but that does not prevent somebody from serving as a shaliach, because that is something that can be taken away without anybody representing the slave. It could be taken away by selling the slave to a Yisrael. And therefore, when this person is, is choosing to represent the slave, he is not hurting the slave in any way. The only way you, Rabbi Mayer, say he's hurting the slave has to do with truma. That is not something that was dependent on him choosing to represent the slave. That is something that could be taken away from the slave even without anybody, without, without the slave or his representative involved just by selling him to Israel. Okay, so that's the debate. Well, the Rabbi Mayer, now the Gemara says, according to Rabbi Mayer, that says it's always some element of a loss. Um, so what about the slave of Israel? Why shouldn't it work at least in that case? Where is there a loss there? So the Gemara says, that he makes him lose out the ability to have sex with a uh, non-Jewish um, uh, you know, uh, uh, um, a maidservant, a non-Jewish female slave. Okay, so he is limiting his sexual freedom. So there is some loss. So the Gemara says, Ad Why is that a loss? You know, he doesn't have, he can't have sex with, with, uh, with female slaves, but now he can go ahead and marry and have sex with a Jewish woman. So why should we assume one is better than the other? You know, why is that a loss? So the Gemara says, no. The slave would rather have the lack of any restrictions. So when you're not, uh, when you're freed and from going from Evid Kanani to Israel, so now you have to abide by the halacha, which requires marriage and, you know, and, and, <coughs> <clears throat> and so on. So, um, and there's presumably also, just in terms of the mores, an assumption that there is more uh, sexual mores in place. So therefore, he would rather be a slave and have the type of sexual freedom and lack of mores um, than he would in terms uh, than, than he would in terms of being free. And she is, uh, this speaks also something to about the whole sort of, you know, uh, 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 social and maybe, you know, power dynamics, etc. So, you know, if you look at Rashi, Zile, he, she's like cheap in his eyes. This is really horrific. Take a look at Rashi. You know, he's a slave, but he's also a slave, and because she's also a slave, he feels that he can just take sexual advantage of her. Now, if he means rape or, you know, who knows what, but certainly does not treat her with due dignity and respect. Um, and um, he's very, pre- he's very, he's around all the time. You know, it's in some kind and pretzelay, and she's willing, and she also does not have sexual mores. So it's a life of greater sexual freedom, lack of respect for women, and so on. And therefore, we cannot assume that the slave wants this change in status. Very fascinating having all of this perspective, you know, told through the perspective of people that are not slaves and whatever. You know, a lot more to say about that. Anyway, okay, so that's the debate of whether it is a definite benefit to be freed, or are there some losses that the Gemara imagined in terms of that, which is Rebbe Mayer's position. Now we move on to the next Mishnah. Homer Somebody who says, give this get. Now there's a major debate whether it has the word this, um, because um, that suggests that a get is being handed over. And we actually just discussed a get being handed over, where it sounds, you know, where we were told about whether, you know, the implications of that. Um, this actually, uh, the, the, you know, 
it's debated, but we will choose to read this without the word zeh. Just give a get to my wife, which is actually meaning that he's commanding it to be written and given to his wife. Or shtar shichr zeh avdi, or this uh, writ of manumission to my slave. Umate, lo yitnu lachar misa. And he dies, don't give after death. So, um, again, if, if we're talking about zeh, something physically being handed over, then this would be according to Rabbi Meir. Because according to the Chachamim, as soon as the shtar shichr was handed over, the slave would be freed. So either it's talking about zeh and it's talking to Rabbi Meir, or it's not talking about Zen, nothing is being handed over, it's being, it's being, it's being sort of uh, commanded to be written and given over, and then the guy dies. So um, one way or another, um, after he's dead, you cannot fulfill his commands, you cannot hand it over, because then, you know, the person, the slave automatically transfers to the heirs, the woman automatically becomes a almana, so therefore no longer can that act be done. Okay. Tnu manalish plonius, however, if somebody says give a hundred dollars to somebody and then he dies, misa that you do give it after he dies. Now the question is why? Doesn't the property transfer to the to the heirs? Why does his thing still take effect? So we'll take a look in the Gemara. By the way, the parallel to the give the money also sounds like we're not talking about money being handed over. Um, so that would also argue to take out the word ze in the first part of the Mishnah. Let's take a look at the Gemara. Amra Vyatha Bashmo Bar Martra Mishmed Rav it says in the name of Rav. This thing about the money, the hundred dollars, works if the hundred dollars is all in a pile. It's a specifically designated, so almost like a case of a zeh. Okay, but you know, there's a clear thing that's being pointed to. It's not handed over. So. But my askinam, what's the case here? Why do you need to give it that th- those conditions? Elaimabari, the person saying give this hundred dollars is a healthy person. So Kitsipur in my Halamasha, who cares that they're like in a corner of his room and he says, you know, give that hundred dollars to so and so. And then the guy drops dead. Okay? So the person, nobody took possession of that money. The receiver did not. The person he was telling to give it to the receiver did not in the context of the Zachin question. So why did that work? Um, we're talking about a guy on his deathbed. And the halach about a guy on his deathbed is when he says give so-and-so, it, then it's like it, 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 his words take automatic effect because we want him to not get perturbed you know, about his final wishes that that would actually ag- aggravate his situation and hasten his death. So if that's true, might your even if they weren't in a pile, even if he was on his deathbed and just said, give $100, that would automatically take effect. The words of Eshchimera are like they're already written and handed over. It's like done and deal, done, done, signed, sealed, and delivered. So what is the idea of this being in this pile? Now, by the way, you might ask, you know, why doesn't the Gemara say that the reason you do it is not because the transfer already took place, which is sort of what it's trying to figure out here. How come by the money, the trans- it's like the transfer took place, but by the get and the star shikh were not, for the reasons we said. It sounds, why not just say it didn't take place, but there's a concept of mitzvah l'chaim divrei hames, that when somebody die- says something and then they die, there's a mitzvah to fulfill their wishes. Um, so Tosas and Rashi discuss that. It's debated whether we say it, even if we do say it. Who, you know, who does it apply to, under what context? So there's a lot of reasons why we might not say that, but at least that's something that's discussed. There is a concept out there like that. But we are now assuming that actually what the Mishnah means is that in the case of money, it actually took effect. The get and the star shikh were not because it needed to actually be received by the person or by their shaliach. Um, and, but however, by the money, it did take effect. So let's figure out why. So, um, and why it needs to be this pile. Amar Avid, Olam Bibari. 
Ukhrafuna. We're talking about a healthy person and it's like going like Rafuna. Amarav. Dabravuna Amarav said Ravuna in the name of Rav, and remember this t- statement earlier was in the name of Rav about that they're in a pile. So Ruben says to Shimon, Shimon, you owe me a hundred dollars. Instead of giving it to me, give it to Levi. So because I owe Levi a hundred dollars, or I want Levi just to have it as a gift. So automatically now. The Shimon's, that automatically takes effect. And Shimon no longer owes me the $100, he now owes it to Levi. And if Shimon had, uh, you know, an actual $100 bill of mine in his, you know, in his possession, or like a laptop computer, and I said, that laptop computer that you're watching for me, that you're holding for me, give it to, give it to Levi, then automatically it now belongs to Levi. That's called Mamad Shlashtan. All three of them are around, and you say, give it to him, it takes immediate effect. Okay, and we're going to see why that is. So, Rav Papa Amar, now, we have not yet said um, why it needs to be in a pile. What the Gemara is going to say is, is, and I alluded to in the laptop example, is that this idea that, of does it take effect is debated whether it applies by a loan or only by a picard on a concrete object. So according to this approach, Rav only said it in the case of a concrete object. So if you've got that pile of money, and now presumably actually it means the Tziburnu Munachin, it's not exactly clear before whose property it was Tziburnu Munachin in, but now if this property is Tziburnu Munachin, if this money was in the property of Shimon, and the guy said, Shimon, give that $100 to Levi, and then he dropped dead, it works because of the principle of Maimed Shlashtan. But if it was not a concrete object, and was just give money that you owe me, it would not work. So answer number one is, why does it work in the Mishnah that the money transfers and not the get and the star shikhrer? Because we're talking about this principle called Maimed Shlashtan, which works when you're talking with concrete uh, object, Sibun Umunachin, in Shimon's possession, and therefore it automatically transfers to Levi. Okay, that works for money. It does not work for the star shechra and for the get. Um, that's one explanation. By the way, I should say that if it's already in Shimon's possession, you could say it works because of the principle of Zachin, that Shimon's property takes possession for it on behalf of Levi, so it's not exactly clear why we needed the principle of Mahmud Shlashtan. Uh, Tosa says, you know, Mahmud Shlashtan could work even against Shimon's desire. Shimon even said, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to transfer it to Levi. So in that case, if you had to use the principle of Zachin, it would not work. But because of the principle of Maimed Shlashtan, when they're all present, that could be done against, even if Shimon doesn't like it. And that's the case that we're reading into the Mishnah. Okay? So, once again, the Get and the Star Shechur don't work, either because you don't say Zachin by them, like Rabbi Meir, or, um, but you don't say Zachin by either, or we're not talking about something physically being handed over. Money does work, and according to one statement, it only works when it's in a pile. Why? Because of the principle of Maimed Shlashtan. It's in a pile, and it's a physical object, and it's in Shimon's possession, and therefore it can be transferred to Levi. Okay, so that's a case of Bari. Um, now, we're talking about and it's going like the other statement of Rav, right? Because if it's a Shchiv even if it wasn't in a pile, Shchiv says something automatically takes effect. So why did Rav say it had to be in a pile? So let's say Shchiv said, give uh, so-and-so $100 from, uh, you know, of my property. Um, if he said specifically which $100, you know, give him, you know, the $100 in that drawer. Okay, you would give it. Monastam Ainostin, give him eight hundred dollars from my property, you don't give. Why? Because we don't know which hundred dollars he meant. 
And therefore, you know, maybe he meant $100 that he had buried in some hole that we don't know about. So this person doesn't have any claim on any particular $100. Now, that's a little funny because you, could, you would think that if somebody says, give him $100 from my estate, you're talking about the abstract sense of $100, you know, just from the proceeds of my estate. So Tosos tries to figure out exactly what the parameters are. When it's clear that you mean the proceeds, obviously you would. But here, anyway, there was some sense because of certain context, I won't go into the specific, that um, you, mean, you meant something concrete. So since you meant something concrete and you don't say which thing um, you're talking about, then you don't have to give him anything. So therefore, that's why, since Rav says that, um, we're going to read the Mishnah in that way. Um, again, why we don't just read the Mishnah to say give him $100 from the proceeds um, you know, is not clear, but okay, that's already something taught in Baba Basra, the idea of this is talking about something else, that he's speaking about give him a specific $100, but he, but, and, and that will work in the principle of if you know which specific $100 he's talking about. And that's what Tzibunu Munachin means. If you know which specific $100 he's talking about, it works. If he says a concrete $100 but doesn't say which, then it doesn't work. Okay. So says, but as a matter of practical halacha, that's a little extreme, and we're not concerned about that. Okay. Two ways to read the mission now about the money. Again, the get and the star where you don't say zachin. The money works either because it's a bari, and he's transferring it based on mamad shlashtan, and all three are present, and it's a concrete object. Okay? Or it works because he's a shchiv meirah, and then in theory, you really don't need anything concrete and specific, but if you're concerned about this buried money, then you might need it to be concrete and specific. Rav Papa, okay. Now, Rav Papa, my time alone, Amar Karavid. Why did Rav Papa not say like Rav Zvid that it's based on this Maimon Shlashan idea? So, Kasava Rav Papa, Rav Papa's of the position, Ki Rav, This idea of, of the Maimon Shlashan, it's not limited to a case of a concrete object. It's true even about a loan. Shimon owes me $100. I say, Shimon, give that $100 to Levi. Boom, now you owe it to Levi. Okay, so therefore, he doesn't want to say when Rav demanded it be in a pile and concrete, we're talking about Maimon Shlashan. He doesn't think that Rav requires that for Maimon Shlashan. Okay, Ravid, my time alone, Rav Papa. Now, why did Ravid not say like Rav Papa that we're talking about a Shriv Meira and the issue of having to be concrete is a concern that Rav's concerned about a buried money? So, so he says, Lomi took No, the Mishnah doesn't, it's not, it doesn't sound to me that the Mishnah is talking at all about a Shechid Mera, that we should introduce that idea in the Mishnah, that the guy's on his deathbed. Mimai, how do you know that? Because it says, going back to the first part, the guy's trying to divorce his wife or give a, 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 a star Shechid to a slave. Don't give it after he dies. So, time of the mace. So the mission is clear that the reason you're not giving it is because the guy's dead. Hamichayim, if he was alive, no him, you would give it. Taima the Amar and the reason that it, it would seem that you would be prepared to give it if he were still alive was because he said Tznu. Let's say he didn't say Tznu. Let's say he just said, write again for my wife. Write a star shechwer for my slave. So it would seem like you wouldn't give it. Okay, the mission seems to say, the guy said Tznu, you would give it as long as he was alive, but not once he's dead. Okay, and the implication being, because he said snoo, you would give it. If he said something less than snoo, like write a get, then you would write it, but you wouldn't deliver it. Okay, that's implied, he thinks, in the Mishnah. And now he's saying, but that's not true by Yishchiv Merah. By Yishchiv Merah, because the guy feel, fears he's about to die, when he says write a get, we assume write means write it and give it. Okay, 
V'shchimira, avagav de lomar tnu nosim. By shchimira, even if he didn't say tnu, you would give it. Even if he just said kis fruit, it's none. We're talking the Mishnah. Barishon ayu omim hayotze bekola. Somebody was being taken out in like chains, and he was going to be executed. Vamar kis fruit get leichti. Right, to get for my wife because he didn't want her to have to worry about yibum. Okay, so he didn't. He wanted her. He'd be better off being divorced than being widowed. Okay, kis fruit get leichti. Harayu yichtev uviyitnu. You assume right means write it and give it. You can't give it without the husband appointing somebody a shaliach to give it. But in this context, the word write means write it and deliver it. Then they added to this. They went back and said, even somebody who is going out on a sea journey or on a caravan, afraid he might not come back alive. Also, you know, you're rushed and you're distracted. So you would say kisfu, but you really meant kisfu tnu. Okay, so those are cases we interpret the word kisfu to mean not only write it, but write it and give it. Um, and Rabbi Shimon Shizuri says, even somebody that is, you know, in danger of dying, meaning somebody on his deathbed. Okay, so therefore he says, here's why I don't like reading the Mishnah about Shrimera, because if it was a Shrimera, then we, then the first, then the suggestion of the Mishnah is that you de- deliver the get if the guy is still alive, because he said Tznu, but less than that you wouldn't. And by Shrimera, even if you just said Kisfu, you would deliver the get. Now that's a lot of assumptions to read in, so let's see what the Gemara answers. Maskiv le Ravashi, Ravashi challenges this problem. Uman ne Melan, Rabbanani. That shouldn't prevent you. Why do you have to assume the Mishnah is Reb Shimon Shizuri? The Mishnah could be the rabbis. It was only Reb Shimon Shizuri that said the kisfu of a shchiv merah means write it and give it. You know, and there are other points as well, which is that the Mishnah is not necessarily considering, you know, contrasting the two cases and so on. Anyway, um, but um, so now here's what we, we, that's what we got. You, when, you, you, when he says, give a get to my wife, you don't give it once he's dead and you don't say zachin. When he says, give the hundred dollars, you do give it after he dies, either because of Maimed Shlashtan, and that would be whether it is, if, if Rav requires Maimed Shlashtan to be Pikadon, then it's talking about that the stuff is a concrete Pikadon, um, you know, it's being guard, uh, held by the other person, a specific object, and if Rav says it even by a loan, then it would apply by a loan, or the Mishnah is talking about a Shechiv Meirah, and, um, and that's why it works, so what a Shechiv Meirah says is binding, um, and then, again, if Rav, if there's a concern about a hidden money, we would be talking about the fact that this $100 was concrete and obvious what we were talking about. All right, Gufa. Let's f- now take a breath. Now we and go back to this principle of my mishlashtan and explore it on its own terms. Amarav Huna Amarav. Manali biyadcha. You have hundred. You owe me hundred dollars. Taneolo leploni. Give it to ploni. But my mishlashtan. If all three of them are present, kana. Then Levi now is the one that owns the hundred dollars. Amarava. Mistavra milsa derav to pikadon. Rav said this makes sense by pikadon because then it's like a very specific concrete thing and it's. If I transferred it over to the other person, again, if Shimon was agreeing, you wouldn't even need Maimon Shlashtan because Shimon's property could just be seen as taking possession of it for Levi. Maybe it's not always directly in Shimon's property, okay? But anyway, but Maimon Shlashtan works, therefore, even according to Tezos, even if Shimon doesn't agree, even if it's not in this property, but you understand the logic. There's like a mechanism there that it could transfer it to Levi, okay? So that's by a Pikadon, but not by a debt. A debt is abstract. It's just debt. Shimon owes me money. Money, how does all of a sudden now Shimon owe Levy money because I said it? So the Gemara responds back, Kim, is that really true? In God's name, I'm a Rava, Filu Milva. No, Rav said it even by a debt. Itmar Nami, Levi, Milva, you owe me $100 as a debt. And give it now to Levi, and if they're all three present, now Levi owns the money, or you owe, the money is owed to Levi. Okay, so you see that this idea of Maimon Shlashtan, those that say it works, say that it works even in the case of a debt. 
If that's true, the time of mind, what's the reason behind this? Like, how does that work? So, uh, now the time of mind could be two questions, right? One is like, what motivated it? And the other is, what is the legal mechanism? Okay, so let's keep that in mind. So Amar Meimer says, Amar Meimer, it's as if when Shimon, I lent Shimon the money, it's as if, you know, Shimon went by agreeing to take my $100 and owe me the money. It's as if he said to me when I handed him the money, Shabbatna l'chol didach, l'chol da'asumach masech. I am, um, you know, uh, um, uh, obligating myself to you, putting a lien on myself, you know, subjugating myself, obligating myself to you to owe, the, pay the hundred dollars, and to anyone who comes, like you know, you know, on your on your account, any any of your designees. So implicitly, when Shimon took my money, it's he agreed to pay it back to me, to owe it to me, or to anyone whom I would designate. Okay, now it's as if he said that. He didn't really say that. He just borrowed the money. But Chazal, whatever motivated them for this mechanism, right? There's a question about why did they want, want to create the mechanism. But the mechanism is we view it as if Shimon has agreed to owe it to anybody who I would designate. Okay? So the Gemara says, Amalei Ravashi Lameimus, Ravashi said to Maimur, Elameata, Hakikne Lignoladim, Delohavishas Matmos, Hachinami Delokanu? One minute. But that would only work if the person, the late Levi, was alive when Shimon borrowed the money. Then Shimon could say, by taking this money, I'm obligating myself to you or to whoever else it might turn out that you designate. Okay, and then if in the end I designate Levi, well, since Levi was alive at the time, you know, 10 years ago when he borrowed the money, then it's like Shimon 10 years ago said, I'll owe the money to Levi. But if Levi was only born after he borrowed the money, then... Where is Shimon obligating himself to Levi? How can he obligate himself to me 10 years ago to someone who doesn't yet exist? Okay? Right now, if we're 10 years ago, at the 10 years time, he could say, I, I accept an obligation to pay you and to pay wh- or whomever else you right now designate. And I'm assuming that obligation now. But if it's somebody that you doesn't, isn't alive now, I can't obligate myself now to somebody in the future. If I want to be obligated to a somebody born in the future, I have to be obligate myself to them only once they were alive. Okay, so that's what the Gemara says. If Levi is born afterwards, the obligation that Shimon undertook 10 years ago cannot have applied to Levi. Why? Even according to Rebbe Meir that says that you can uh, transfer, like sell something that doesn't yet exist. I will sell you the fruit of this tree once they come into existence. That's when you are giving it to someone who exists. It's the object that doesn't yet exist. But you cannot transfer something now to a person who is not yet alive. So Shimon, 10 years ago, could not have obligated himself to Levi who wasn't alive then. All right, so how does this work if it's based on when Shimon borrowed the money? It's like he obligated himself to whoever he was going to say, blah, blah, blah. That could not have worked. That thing 10 years ago could not have worked to somebody who was born only after the fact. So, Ella Amar Ravashi says, Ravashi, You're right. Since we have to include cases where Levi was born later, we have to say that right now, when I'm doing the transfer, Shimon is obligating himself to Levi. Okay, what's the mechanism of that, right? You can't ascribe it to what happened 10 years ago. It has to be now, because Levi only was born, like, recently. Okay, so what is the mechanism where now the loan becomes obligated to Levi? 
So the Gemara says, well, look, Shimon is benefiting in this exchange because he's owed me the money for 10 years. He's in deep arrears. He'd rather it be a new loan with Levy, which will give him a little bit of a breather, you know, and not feel the same pressure to pay it up right away. And since he benefits from it being created as a new loan, that benefit, in order to obligate yourself, you have to receive something, right? So in exchange for that benefit that created the conviction to obligate himself now to Levi. Again, he's not, Shimon's not saying this necessarily, but this is what we're reading in. This is the virtual mechanism that is allowing it to transfer. So the Gemara says, If that's the logic that he benefits, that Shimon benefits, let's say you were transferring the loan to this house of the, you know, members of this El Yoshev household, okay, like the Corleones or something. Um, they, the Kofti Vishakli Alter, they bind people up and they take the money right away, okay? It's very nice, it's a new loan, but actually they're much worse. You know, they're going to send their goons after you. So would we say it doesn't work? So how is it going to work? So hachanami dlokanu? Would you say it doesn't work? Im vechitem hachanami? Yeah, that's true. Im kain nasatiz rechel shurim. Then this is a mechanism that doesn't always work, and we're going to have to always assess case by case whether the person is benefiting from it transferring to this new party. So elam amarzutra. So marzutra says hani klas mili shavino rabbanu kihilchasav lo taima. There are three things that the rabbis did as with as as a law without a reason. And they're going to say, and the three of them are going to include my Mitzlashtan. We'll pick up with this tomorrow. But the below time here does not mean there was not a motivation. The below timer means without really a justifiable mechanism. Okay, so you're right. The mechanism here doesn't work. If we're dealing with a picadone, the mechanism is easier because in a lot of cases, it's in Shimon's property and Shimon agrees, so his property takes possession for Levi. So even when those aren't true, we can sort of, at least we see the makings of a mechanism. But in the case of a loan, if we extend it to that, which it seems that's the agreement, right, then the mechanism isn't clear. It can't be that Shimon obligated himself at that time to future people because those people might not have existed yet. And it can't be he obligates himself now to those people because he might not have had a reason to obligate himself to those people. So it's going to be, we're going to do it even without a clearly defined mechanism, and we will pick up with this tomorrow.